Welcome to another episode of Keo Conversations. My name is Mark Champagne and it is my job to unpack the stories and mental fitness practices of people living at the top of their game personally and professionally. So today is a really exciting day. Uh, Not only is it the first episode of the new year 2019, here we come, but this episode with Michael Hebb actually represents interview number 100 for Keo. Um, You might be asking, well, I don't see 100 episodes on the podcast, and you are correct. Uh, It's because we we started these interviews actually in, in written form. So in total, from written to now audio, obviously through the podcast, we we reached 100 over the last two years. So really excited um, to to share this episode. It's it's loaded, packed full of just awesome conversation, and I couldn't be more proud to share this on on this milestone uh, event for the podcast itself. It's been a real pleasure connecting with all the guests and you as an audience um, all the comments and requests and feedback has just been uh, a beautiful experience so thank you for for supporting the show and continuing to to listen on so a little bit about our guest today michael he has been working to understand the secrets of human connection for the past 20 years. His projects have turned into international movements and have impacted literally millions of people. With his second book, Let's Talk About Death, he continues to push those boundaries around the dinner table and in conversation. He also recently became a partner at Round Glass to further expand his efforts to impact global well-being. So enough from me. Please enjoy this chat. But before diving in, Please do give us a little love wherever you're listening. If you're enjoying these conversations, stars, reviews, they make a huge difference for us. And lastly, this show, this episode, the whole podcast is sponsored by Keo, which is our daily mental fitness app. All of these awesome guests end up in app to help guide you through your daily reflection. So all you have to do is search KYO in the Apple App Store and it will pop up. Have the absolute best day yet. What defines you? <laughs> um, so that's such a uh, daunting question, um, and and not because of any existential crisis that it, um, it sure. begins <laughs> within me or my head. Um, it is because for uh, so long I have struggled with being able to um, give a concise answer. Um, and it, you know, it's like the, the cocktail party, um, situation yeah, and yeah. someone says, so what do you do or who are you or what are you up to in the world? It's like, oh man, how long do you have? <laughs> um, you were going to, you know, we're going to have to do some, um, contextual thinking together, uh, first. Um, and then some of the things that I'm going to tell you I'm doing will make a little bit more sense. Um, you know, I mean, I could say to you or to people, I took it as my personal mission to reinvigorate um, how we eat together and how we connect as human beings. Um, yeah. And, <laughs> and that would probably, um, you know, 
cover a great deal of the map of who I am or, 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 or what I'm up to. Um, it wouldn't cover everything, but, um, so let's stick with that. Um, you know, no, I love that. <laughs> and, and honestly, Michael, I, I ask every, every podcast starts off with that question and it's, it's deliberate because even the way you just answered that, I think provides a perfect way to jump into, you know, where all that's come from. And, and actually then it gets into, you know, your, your work obviously versus, you know, someone answering, this is what I do. Yeah. Right. Um, which is nothing wrong with that, but you know, there's so much more obviously to a person. And, uh, I obviously know, obviously know a little bit more of your background than probably many of the, the listeners. So we'll, we'll get into some of that, but I am curious, like something I notice just listening to other, other conversations and reading your latest book, like you're seem to be fascinated with human connection and, and that, that, obviously is linked up to how you answer that question. Like where, where, where has that come from? Yeah. Well, you know, I think that anybody that does mission based work and especially anybody that, um, has, um, uh, you know, the works in end of life, um, or in any of the taboo, the really difficult areas of human experience, um, have really, uh, important Genesis stories. Um, it's a little bit, uh, it's almost like, uh, the, like the superhero, um, stories of like where something really terrible happened to you. Um, and instead of dying, um, you were given like some sort of gift. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I think that people that are working on the fringe, um, of culture, um, in the dark canyons in the adaptive valleys, um, have uh, something something really um, uh, traumatic happened, and instead of um, that debilitating them um, or us, um, it it was uh, like alchemically or through some sort of transfiguration <laughs> turned into um, you know I don't need to I don't mean to be immodest and say superpower, but um, but turned into some um, highly focused skill that and gift that we could give back to people. Um, and, uh, you know, it's almost like the, and we can get into this later, let's maybe footnote it, but it's like the, um, in inverse of the hero's myth. It's like the inward mm -hmm. adventure. Um, but for me, the, um, my work around human connection, um, started when I felt profoundly disconnected. Um, not surprisingly, the, uh, and and it it started with the death of my father. Um, my father was diagnosed with Alzheimer's when I was in second grade, um, and this was before Alzheimer's was really a, an understood phenomenon. Um, yeah. And it was it, it shook the whole family tree. Um, actually, it more than shook it; it cleaved it in half. Um, where. Um, half of my family stopped talking to the other half because they thought that um, he was just being drugged um, because my mom was a gold digger or something, right? Um, and wow. the, you know, and really, really dramatic um, shakeup um, and change um, within my, obviously within my nuclear family, but then within my extended family, um, where my 
um, half brothers and sisters. My father was 72 when, when I was born. Um, and so by the nature of that, and uh, for me to be able to be born, he had a much younger wife. Yeah. Um, my mom was 43 when I was born. Um, and, you know, it went from this like pretty happy extended family to, um, a whole lot of, um, viciousness. Um, and my dad, my, my, my dad was confused and angry, um, because his brain was eating itself and no one at that point, you know, the 36 hour day had just come out, um, as a book about Alzheimer's. And, um, so that happened and, but the, you know, um, the real moment was when he died when I was 13 and he died on Halloween. Um, and mm-hmm. I woke up in the middle of the night, not knowing, um, why I was awake, looked at the time, knew something had happened, but didn't know what went back asleep. And when I woke up, I knew that my father had died 20 miles away and his heart had stopped at three forty-three AM. Um, wow. and, yeah. And so, and you know, I, it, it's funny, these, we are surprised by these connections, but they're more, um, um, they're more common than, than, than not. Um, yeah. Yeah. And it's almost like I want the, um, people talk about synchronicity and I'm like, um, lack of synchronicity is, um, is more of an exception in my life than synchronicity, right? Like yeah. I want the, I, I want the, well, that seemed accidental. How surprising. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but to so when my father died on halloween and your 13 year old is a halloween uh, on halloween you you go out with your friends i went to school and i didn't feel comfortable telling anybody about my father's death um because you know you don't that's a pretty heavy thing um to share um you want to make sure that the person can take the weight and and I didn't have the tools for communication and I didn't trust my friends. And so I just held on to it. Um, and I went through the day and I went through the night and I remember being out on Halloween, um, watching my friends, watching myself. And there was a, there was a schism there. There was a skip in, um, the record. And I, all of a sudden I wasn't with my peer group. Um, I was like a half beat behind them. Um, and I, and I started to have a, this observational relationship to my peers, which was, it was lonely. It, all of a sudden, you know, yeah. I felt separate. Um, and, and I couldn't, and then I looked for other peers to, you know, other friends groups. And, you know, I ended up hanging out with the goths and the theater kids because they kind of understood a bit more about big emotions. <laughs> yeah. Um, but that, what had started to really, you know, that, that's that slight distance, um, being out of the bubble, um, was really a gift. Um, because I, I built an awareness around, um, uh, you know, observation and what makes human connection um, and how could I get back um, into sync with people um, couldn't be on a surface level. Then I had to dive deep. Um, mm-hmm. And so I found refuge um, in writers, artists. Um, I started to look at communities like what created um, high um, vibrational 
um, generative community. And so got fascinated by like the connection between Henry Miller and Anais Nin and Lawrence Durrell and Otto Rank, for instance, and Paris, or the more cliche or much um, talked about connection between um, Gertrude Stein and Hemingway and Picasso and Man Ray and um, the, that salon community, or what was happening at Andy Warhol's uh, factory. Um, mm -hmm. And so that was one thing that I got very interested in, like what, how did these people coming together create incredibly important artwork um, writings, et cetera, that then change culture. Um, and then I also got really interested in spirituality and mysticism. Um, so I was kind of a weird 15 year old. Yeah, I'd say that's a lot. <laughs> uh, that's, that's an interesting way to put it, but yeah, I, I can imagine. I mean, I, what, what, what pops out just, you know, even before you mentioned some of those, you know, icons in, in our world was just at 13 years old, this, the level of self-awareness that you seem to have had, you know, going through that experience seems so high. Like out of the hundreds of people who we've interviewed on, on this platform, that is the number one theme. But in present day that, you know, yeah. all of these, all these people like have a heightened sense of self-awareness, but you like, it seems like it came from that, that obviously the tragic passing of your father and going through all that with your family just catapulted that that skill or that that insight into your life it's interesting yeah i mean my bookshelf back then um was you know it would be include henry miller and nietzsche and andy warhol's diaries um and thomas merton and Thich Nhat Hanh, um and like gnostic text um, <laughs> like, and, and I, you know, I became a, um, a kind of ascetic, um, when I was 15, um, I was really, uh, motivated and impressed by, you know, the Buddha's story. Um, and, and so started, um, I, I stopped using, um, drugs. I would, I certainly LSD, um, and mushrooms were, um, a huge part of self-discovery, in my 14th year, <laughs> but in my, in my, oh yeah, yeah, a lot like, um, heroic doses. And, um, which is, I feel so much compassion for that 14 year old having to deal with all of that, like yeah. stimulus and still like really intense amount of, like you said, self-awareness. Cause I, I started to understand my childhood, um, you know, in an archetypal sort of way and um, in, in, in the emotional landscape of my identity um, at 14, I'm reflecting on it. You know, it's, like, it's a lot to fucking take. And um, yeah, but then I, then I was like, I need to become pure, more pure um, to really understand more like kind of impeccable. Um, and so I, you know, stopped doing drugs, um, stopped eating fried food, stopped eating sugar or processed foods, started journaling daily, um, started studying transcendental meditation. <laughs> like, you know, it was just these, um, these things that, um, it, it all kind of fell into line and incredible mentors started showing up for me. Um, you know, and cause people recognize, you know, yeah. adults recognize 
when um, when someone is ready for um, for mentorship and a transmission of knowledge, um, there's a real um, you know there's a real hidden um, universe and science to that. Um, you know, like you know when the student's ready, the teacher will show up. I'm I'm just I'm a bit speechless to be honest because like the things that you just mentioned, uh, no surprise on those items, but we're just being in the work that that we're involved with over here, like that's typically not showing up for fifteen to twenty years. You know, Pat. Yeah. so it's just it's fascinating, and now no surprise that you know the, the work that you've been doing. Um, most of your life, how deep rooted it is in, in powerful questions, right? Yeah, I can, I can see where, where that's coming from. Really interesting stuff. Thank well, thank you for sharing some of that that insight. Yeah, yeah. Um, I have to ask um, before we really get into uh, some of the book and, and some of the projects that you've been working on. But when when did the the whole four legged table come into play in your life? Because that's yeah. been a, a staple in a lot of the work that you're doing. Yeah, I mean, well, so there was kind of a realization, well, not kind of, as I say, a pretty clear realization around the time I was um, 17, 18, and I went to read college because it was one of the few places that called my name. Um, and in that whole period, I had a realization that I didn't really want a career, um, that what I was interested in, I... Um, had read um, Stuart Brand's, uh, uh, you know, work, and it somewhere he said, "My client is civilization," mm-hmm. um, and that for me, um, you know, just seemed that hit such a resonant chord. And so, um, for whatever reason, I started to look at um, my client. Just my, what who I the work I was doing and the work that I wanted to do was um, on a culture level, um, and. And, you know, that not even like in a grandiose way, just like, but that's where I wanted to focus it. Um, you know, some people yeah. are like, I want to have an uh, impact in a, <clears throat> in an industry um, or a discipline. And for me, it was a little bit more like, you know, I want to figure out how to be involved in um, the fabric of culture, the engines of culture. Like how does, how does the conversation that, um, defines a period of time um, or a present and then the future, how does that get made? Like, because um, it, it, it does, it gets made, um, but how? And that's, so I got really curious about that and it led me to, um, first into architecture. Um, you know, I, I realized that writing would um my trajectory into being a writer um, seemed to me like that would be a very hard way um, to impact culture. Um, But creating spaces um, seemed to me like that could, that was the next step Um, that there was something, and I didn't even know what it was because it didn't feel like architecture as it was being practiced, but I felt like that there was, I had a long hunch that there was something there around architecture. And I ended up studying um, with some incredible teachers that were focused on the phenomenology um, school of architecture, um, which is like Daniel Liebskind and um, Stephen Hall and people that um, sacrifice the idea of um, form um, for experience. 
Like they weren't interested in all, or they still aren't interested at all in what their buildings look like. They're interested in what their buildings felt like um, mm. and what their buildings evoked. Yeah, really powerful. And so then, and that really, that made sense to me because as a writer, um, you know, as a young aspiring writer, I was really interested um, in what my words could evoke, um, not what they could describe. And so I was like, okay, architecture. And then um, I uh, left architecture school to start the city repair project and communitecture with Mark Lakeman. Um, and this is like when these, these mentors show up and, you know, this 38 year old architect, um, visionary um, shaman, like plucked me out of architecture school <laughs> and says, you're going to be my partner. And I was like, I'm, I'm a fucking kid, you know? Um, yeah. And he was like, no, the way that you think about things, um, the way that you feel things, the way that you understand things, um, I need that. Um, mm -hmm. You have uh, ability to create clarity out of a lot of, um, you know, disparate parts, I guess, pattern recognition is like, I need that. And so before we that, Michael, can I, sorry, I just have to ask before yeah. that moment, did you feel supported? In, in because it seemed like you were, I mean, obviously with the reading and, and what you were surrounding your mind with, you were a bit ahead of the curve, right? On on a thinking level, I, I'd say where yeah, or outside of it, yeah. I don't yeah. know if it was ahead, but you know, certainly yeah, different certainly. trajectory. <laughs> so did you feel like because you said a few times that like intuitively you felt like this is what you needed to do? <clears throat> Excuse me, but when going through that until these, these powerful mentors started showing up in your life, <clears throat> like who was there for you to, to support that? Yeah. Well, not my family. Um, sure. And, uh, you know, um, you know, bless their heart. I mean, I don't, I wouldn't know how to deal with me. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> the, uh, at that age, that kind of rawness, but yeah, there were, um, you know, there was a mentor in high school, a teacher, Kay Johnson, um, who saw what I was working on with my writing when I was like 16. And she literally um, turned half of my day into um, into a writing uh, study workshop period and told all of my other teachers that I wouldn't be coming to class. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so as a junior in school, I literally, I had a desk in a quiet room and and for half my period and it really it pissed off the vice president you know principal the you know and they were like what is going on and then people are like they must be having an affair you know <laughs> something like you know there's all of this shit and she's like no he's doing important writing leave him the fuck alone um and and i didn't even really like you know you're in a small town you don't know how unique that is right yeah for sure and, Bend, Oregon. Like I didn't, I didn't even have any attitude about it. I didn't even feel that exceptional. It was just like, yeah, that's right. That's what I need. And I'm, <laughs> I'm not going to go to personal finance and, uh, you know, and American history that is clearly a fucking lie. The American history that they were teaching at that time, you know, it's like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to write. And, you know, I wrote a novel when I was, um, in that period. Um, Wow. It was total shit. Yeah, let's, let's be clear. Like it's not, there was no, it wasn't um, of redeeming quality, but, um, but yeah, so there were, there mm -hmm. were, there were some supports um, along the way. Um, and uh, there was a gentleman um, who uh, wanted 
saw that I was interested in multidisciplinary learning and he helped, he gave me the funding to create an educational system that um, was a construction system, like an erector set, but it was, we built um, uh, multidisciplinary um, educational uh, modules out of it that ended up being used in schools all over the place. Um, you know, that mm-hmm. happened when I was 17. And, um, you know, so I, it, when Mark said that, um, I was like, hey, join me as a partner. Um, I already had a kind of language of um, this seems really unlikely, but I'm living an unlikely life, so I'm going to say yes. Yeah, yeah. I I just kind of I kept going like I I was kind of kicked out of the mainstream and just was like, okay, fine. I'm going to make it. I'm going to make a real nice home for myself out here. And, uh, and yeah, and, and with the architecture work, I mean, we started building gathering spaces, tea houses, um, we turned a Datsun pickup and like 1980s Datsun pickup, um, into a, um, a tea house that had 60 foot Visqueen wings. Um, and we bamboo and Visqueen and we took it to every park. There's 196 parks or something like that. in uh, uh, in Portland, Oregon. And we, uh, for, for every Monday, over a you know four year period, or maybe there's 96 parks. Maybe it took us um, something like two years. We um, held a free tea um, gathering under this the the tea horse we called it uh, in the park to bring people together. And we you know we turned a, a neighborhood intersection into a piazza illegally um, by painting um, a 500 foot Anasazi symbol of life um, with the the neighbors, um, you know, coming with their buckets of paint and, uh, total, totally breaking the law. Um, and the city getting totally flipped out and then realizing that we had, um, accomplished all of the things that they were supposed to do, (laughs) you know, in neighborhoods. Um, and so now there's 15,000 or more intersection repairs, this, this blueprint. So I got the understanding um, of that civil disobedience and transgression um, and really like that you that a toolkit model um, and that that you can scale culture that way. Um, and and so a lot of lessons um, between um, 20 and 22. And to answer your question in a very <laughs> roundabout way, um, I came to the table um, because I realized that it was in many ways the first architecture. Um, and it, it didn't require a um, $50 million or a $2 million or a hundred thousand dollar budget um, and permits um, that you could actually use what we already had and had been using since we became human. Um, and when you sit down to a well-created dinner experience, um, time stops. Um, you're you're in the a liminal um, uh, space. You are. It it doesn't matter what architecture you're in because the table is bigger than that. The experience is bigger than that. And so I, I was like, okay, um, human. If I'm interested in creating profound transformative human experiences and we've forgotten how to eat together um and everybody has this thing 
and I just line them up and that's where, and then make the table my medium. Um, which again, like that was a lonely decision. Um, there's not, there, there, there wasn't a guild of table artists, right? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah crickets. Like, Hey, who, um, you're a sculptor, you know, you're a sound artist, you do installations. Who's working on tables? You know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no one. And, you know, luckily I have been habituated to this idea of, um, you know, being lonely or being, um, outside of, outside, yeah. yeah, it was, it was comfortable for me. And I was like, Oh yeah, well, I'm gonna spend the rest of my life working on the table as my medium. Let's go. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so that's how I got to the table and, you know, and then learned so many things about it. Um, and that's, you know, that's where I've been working for 20 years. Well, so let, let's provide a bit of context and I'll, I'll try something a little different here. Um, just to jump into, um, all of the all of the all of the dinner work you've done around these tables. Let's just say. Um, so why why don't you know, Mike? Why, why don't you close your eyes for a second and, and take? We'll take a breath together and uh, I'll walk you through a, a quick statement here. Let's go. So, if, if your eyes are closed, what I'd love you to imagine is just you know you're sitting on a speeding train of some sort going to some location and you're looking out the window and what you see is all of the dinners that, that you've hosted and the faces of those people, the smiles, the tears, the excitement, the fear, like all of those experiences over the last years of, of thousands of people from, from what I'm gathering. And, you know, as you think about that, my question and to, to, to set the stage for where I'd love to go with this is what's the emotion that comes out for you? Like, what do you feel when you, when you think of those memories that, that you've been through over all of these years? Let's mm, uh, gratitude. Yeah. It, it's fascinating to see. And like, it, it, it's so nice that, that the context has been set on how you, how you grew up and how your life's been shaped because it, it, to me now it makes perfect sense on, on some of the work that you're doing. Um, why don't you explain a little bit about uh, death over dinner and, and how that came about that you're on a book tour right now, which we'll, we'll chat a little bit about, but yeah. essentially, right. Like again, a topic that is outside of let's say the norm or definitely on the, on the edge of comfort levels, let's say. And here we are, you know, chatting to, you know, thousands of people listening on, on the subject. So in a sense, the theme, it seems to be is like starting on the fringe and pulling it into mainstream culture and helping, helping create dialogue and change, which is fascinating. And you should be, uh, I hope you feel great about that. Yeah, no, I do. <laughs> I do. And, um, death over dinner, um, is, you know, there's one, there's these, uh, defining moments in your uh, in one's career is the wrong, wrong word, um, but um, your journey as an artist or as a creator, um, or I'm imagining that most people on this um, uh, listening to this podcast are not people that um, either identify or want to identify as just a cog in the wheel, right? Um, they, you know, 
are people that um, want to make or do make um, produce culture, not just consume it. Um, and um, and so there's these there's these defining moments. It doesn't even matter of scale and how many people you impact, but there are moments when things just kind of all come together. Um, it happened with City Repair, um, what Mark and I were doing. It happened with the underground restaurant that Naomi and I started um, when we, I, I saw very clearly that, you know, we could start an underground restaurant movement um, and a pop-up restaurant movement. And so we started Family Supper in our living room. Um, and six months later, we were, um, said we had started a, a, a national and then international movement on the front page of the dining section of the New York <laughs> Times. And, you know, you just, there's a, there's something about when an idea meets its time, right? It's like, it's really thrilling. And to, I feel really grateful to have been a part of a few of those moments. Um, and death over dinner feels like one of those. Um, and the, the impetus for it, um, the early inspiration was, um, a dinner table is finite, um, by its definition, it, um, its success um, is dependent upon a limit of scale, right? It's defined by intimacy. Um, There, sure, you can do a grandiose dinner um, like we did with Summit um, on during um, Summit outside with a thousand people on top of um, Eden, um, you know, uh, Powder Mountain eating, and that's that's a glorious spectacle. and defining spectacle, but the experience itself is um, not transformer- transformational in the way that a, a dinner table and a dinner party can be. Um, it's really about it's really about the the edges, the finite, not how big it can get. Um, and tables have very clearly defined edges, right? If you just look at them architecturally, there's a couple things that are kind of interesting. One is um, we overbuild tables um, structurally. Like you can, okay. how many people can stand on your dining room table without it breaking? Yeah, right? that's true. <laughs> Probably the equal number of people that can sit at it, which is yeah. like, wow, all of their weight. Why the fuck do we do that? Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. Like, like it needs to hold like cassoulet and cocoa van or like a Thanksgiving turkey, but it doesn't need to hold fucking 500 pounds. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I like, yet we overbuild, we overbuild our tables constantly. Um, because I think that in, you know, inherent in that is that we know that they can take the weight, um, and they can take the weight emotionally. They can take the weight, um, you know, of, of our personas, um, of our pain. And, um, so that being said, I was looking for a way to not just do, um, my work at a small scale, um, because I, you know, I was able to put together and continue on some level, put together some, you know, unbelievable dinner parties that end up impacting like the future of, of things, right? Like, yeah, I've seen you're, being very mo- you're being very modest. I mean, I, <laughs> we're talking world leaders and to your point, a lot of potential for, millions of people around the world. So I, I, I want to point that out. I mean, because it, it's worth, you know, recognizing the hard work 
your your life's work essentially all leading to some of this right yeah and it, yeah and it's like well it's awesome to uh, you know have like you said world leaders or Nobel Prize winners or Grammy award winning artists or blah 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 at a table but but so the fuck what right the other thing is like there's the experience of having that which is cool but when you tell somebody about it when you share about something like oh my god i did dinner with blah 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 with this person it doesn't really feel good right cuz they weren't there i mean they might yeah. like you might look cool or you might they might think that you're sexier or smarter because of the story but it as far as a person who's telling about an exceptional experience they had it's not fun. Um, it, it really just doesn't do anything like internally. It just doesn't feels kind of icky when you when you walk away from it. You're like, why did I have, feel like I have to tell him that story? Yeah. Um, and you know, and so for me, it was like, what, you know, I don't want to keep doing these exceptional um, things or being at these like um, highly exclusive X, Y, and Zs. Um, how do I take what I've learned? and deliver it to everybody so that every dinner, um, every time you sit down to a table, you at least have the opportunity to make it a really profound experience of human connection or a really profound experience of increasing your knowledge of self. I mean, those two things um, happen to be um, the, the, the silver bullets towards longevity and meaning in your life, Right deep human connection, deeply connected community and knowing yourself and knowing who you are and be able to scan your body. Like that's how you know if there's disease, that's how you um, live a long life. That's how you find meaning. And so I was like, okay, how do I share this? How do I scale? How do I, you know, make infinite the finite, um, this, 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 this intimate experience. And so death over dinner was the first, um, test. I mean, we did some crazy early tests. Um, I think you listened to Chase Jarvis and I chat and, um, Chase, my first thing was like, Hey, you know, it's nice to have a, a, you know, one of your best friends be Chase and be like, Hey buddy, do you want to come to the wood shop with me on Saturday? Um, and can you call the founder of GoPro and have them send us a bunch of product? Let's create a table, um, that, uh, you know, whoever sits at it, we can, broadcast it um live to whoever and so we'll be scaling the dinner table right you know yeah and chase is like yeah i'm fucking in and like and you know and so you know we build this table and we design it and like it holds all of these cameras in this cool way and then i like call up kate bailey who's um, the designer of the microsoft surface and i say like hey kate you want to design version two and she puts them in the you know in the chandeliers and we've got these cameras in the chandeliers <laughs> and, and we do it with Trefethen vineyard and we have all these fucking brilliant people that we capture like eve bahar and eric weinstein and like oh yeah this is great and we're capturing the table and then the third one i asked tom kundig you know the renowned architect like hey tom you want to design a table for you know and he does like i mean those are my three fucking tests <laughs> Um, yeah for free like they put their own resources behind it it's like okay well you know if you feed somebody they tend to be um you know in your in your life and they'll do shit for you um, because they love you because you gave them love um yeah and so but that wasn't working 
Um, and so this is, I mean, that's an important thing for anybody who is a maker or wants to be a maker is, um, you need to know, you need to recognize when it's time to let an idea die. Mm. Um, and you know, you really need to be honest with yourself and, and understand when, um, when your ego's in the way or when you're trying to force your idea into either the wrong culture or the wrong time, or maybe it was just, wasn't a great idea. And, um, this wasn't a great idea. Um, and I had a lot of people invested in it. And so I, I went back to the drawing board and I said, well, what about, um, a toolkit? What about like a board game? What about a script, um, for dinner, um, experiences that was topic based. And so we can get everybody to talk about an issue or a thing that affects them at scale, um, on one night or over many years. And, um, so that's where death over dinner came from. I said, well, um, I needed a topic. And at first I thought it'd be the Israeli and Palestinian conflict. Um, and then I was like, no, people are going to kill each other. <laughs> like, I can't even talk to some of my, you know, um, my friends about that conflict, yeah. um, because I know they won't be friends. And so as always on the fringe. Yeah. Yeah. And so I put that on hold. I don't know okay. if it ever happened. And then I realized the death, um, was the, it was the perfect storm. And there's a lot of reasons. Um, but at the core of it, it's still like, even, even though you said, you know, you let the, the one idea die at the core of it, the conversation around the table is always there. Yeah, right? for sure. But you know, we can get, you can get really attached. Sure. Um, right. And that, that, and, and the funny thing is that attachment um, mechanism um, and it comes from childhood attachment from childhood. And it's like, and we need attachment in childhood. We need the nurturing, the loving, you know, um, and, and, and we often sacrifice our authenticity to get more attachment. And we don't do that. Um, we're not effective of letting go our childhood attachment models um, into adult life. Um, and that's why a lot of marriages suffer. And that's why our president in the United States is um, such um, a, a tragically ridiculous and hurtful human being is because he's just a hurt five-year-old. Um, yeah. And, and so like, but he has the nuclear codes. Um, so that's terrifying, but nonetheless, that is the, it's also goes into creative ideas and it also goes to death is um, letting go and surrender and being in stepping into the unknown and letting something die um, is where we find our authenticity. Um, and so, you know, I let these early um, iterations die. And then I was like, okay, yeah, we're going to lead people into this crazy um, canyon called death um, that isn't discussed. And the, the reason being, uh, and when some of the like um, things that, were very clear to me in the beginning is how we die is very broken um, in, in the United States and now exported globally. That yeah. um, it, it has been clearly indicated in study after study, a lot of them after we started Death Over Dinner, that conver open conversation um, will be the most effective way to not only change the way we die, but to um, rectify our broken healthcare system in the United States. Like it's where the majority of the cost is. Mm -hmm. And I, I was like, Wow, conversation could heal um, the healthcare system, um, solve its financial woes, 
um, it would give people um, the ability to, um, you know, have an emotional healing. It'll um, financially on a family and a personal basis, give them, um, you know, a, a lot more freedom. Um, it will also give them a, a huge transformation around self and awareness because uh, memento mori or reflecting on death has been part of every wisdom tradition and every religion um, in the history of time. And, um, and, and now we don't, even our religions and our wisdom traditions shy away from um, the death work or the shadow work. Uh, yeah. And, and so it was like, oh, wow. Um, it's not just like, well, that would be cool. It would be like, no, that's medicine. You get people to talk about death. You're giving them better lives. You're giving them better deaths. You're giving their family a better way to get to honor them, which makes their grief less. You're reducing cost in the system. Let's, let's yeah. do it. <laughs> you know? no, it's, it's massive. And it's, what, what I love the most about where we're at right now in, in the world is that it's because we, we see it a lot on in our work with journaling, right? Like even, even the word journaling, depending on who I speak with, like there could be loaded stereotypes on that, right? It's just, oh, that's the 12-year-old girl writing her diary about the boy at school. <laughs> yeah, right? sure. Which, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. But no, not necessarily. Like there, it's a little bit more than that, right? And, and you nailed a lot of these things about just the self and awareness. And again, having that deep conversation, whether it's with A, first with yourself, but then also with people around you. And, and I think, you know, what's encouraging is we're starting to see the, the conversation shift and people taking, creating the space, I should say, for reflection in yeah. whatever capacity that may be, whether it's around a dinner table, it's in a notebook, on an app, like it, whatever it is, doesn't matter. But finally taking that time, because to your point, like this stuff isn't new, right? <laughs> I mean, there's ancient traditions and communities and societies that have been doing these things and had, and, 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 you know, have started these traditions for years and years, right? So how do we get back to some of that, right? And, uh, and, and converse, I guess, is really at the, at the heart of all of this. So. Yeah, well, and it's design. Um, I mean, the thing is, you know, we act sometimes like rituals um, came from, uh, you know, the ether um, yeah. or religions... Um, certainly there's um, revelation um, but that but the process of taking revelation even let's say if you um, believe in mysticism you believe in revelation um, uh, you know and the process of taking that information if whatever the source is and then turning it into um, the ritual or the the verse or the poetry you know, you can see that that's a that's a process. The filter is human, and the and it's and it's a design process, right? So, yeah. I mean, all of these things have been designed um, throughout time, and you know, so how are we? You know, it it is the responsibility of the people that are awake and aware and feel deeply to design rituals, um, experiences, prompts, questions. Um, that, that, you know, that, that the culture needs um, for right now. And they're, 
there's a freedom in that if we give it to ourselves. It's scary. It's really scary to start yeah. to um, prescribe ritual. Like talk about, you know, triggering your imposter syndrome. Right? Yeah. Like yeah, yeah. who gave me the right, right? Like, you know, I, I was working with Michael Mead, the um, great mythologist. He's kind of like the Joseph Campbell of our times in many ways. And mm-hmm. we spent a year working together and I just watch him teach. And I caught myself being like, wow, I could never be like that. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, like, wow. Like, what is he like? It's, it's magic. And then it was like, no, he, he made a decision that he had something valuable to teach and he was willing to fuck up and iterate and and in with ritual and like he's like but he asked us to do this ritual that is like so like meaningful and it's like yeah and he probably the first couple times he does probably awkward and terrible yeah (laughs) (laughs) um and you know so with with death over dinner it's like well you know how often are we around the table um and even with our people that are closest to us and we end up talking about surface things or we haven't seen friends in a long time and we're like we end up kind of exchanging news feeds um around the things that are happening in our life and it's not what we're looking for um and, you know i do it or, or we talk about other people um yeah and then that doesn't feel good like how i mean how much of our time are we spent like saying well i can't believe what you know Jill did or Simon said or you know it's like um, and it's okay I'm not I'm super sympathetic to it and compassionate I do it too but I also wanted to give people an option if they do um, you know want to take a risk um, to take their connection with the people in their lives deeper and with themselves deeper that they at least have the tools Um, Mm -hmm. you may have the desire but if you don't have the tools um, you know, then you're going to be pretty frustrated. <laughs> yeah, no, I totally, can totally resonate on that. I mean, so I, I want to respect your time. So I'm, I'm going to, I'll start wrapping up, but yeah, what I, okay. what I definitely want to ask you about is obviously you're, you're a man that spends you know, a great deal of time around powerful questions and reflection and reflective practices and, and whatnot. And I'm, I'm curious for you, and there's a lot of emotion to that, right? I, I can only imagine uh, what comes out of a lot of these dinners. Like how, for you personally, how are you keeping yourself and your emotions in check and processing all of, you know, everything that's happening around you when you're facilitating these type of projects and whatnot? And, you know, even the book tour, you know, you're traveling, like what are the things that are absolute non-negotiables for you in your day when you're not in your regular routine? at home that keep your mind going at its, you know, at its optimal level so you can deliver this incredible work around the world. Yeah. Well, it's kind of like, um, it's funny. Like, I, you know, I know that, um, Tim Ferriss had some, um, it was some inspired a bit of the work that you're doing yeah. as well. And yeah. Tim, Tim's a good friend and, um, and I'm kind of like the opposite of Tim. Okay. <laughs> okay. Now I'm very interested. <laughs> yeah, and you know, and I respect his discipline um, so immensely. Um, and I literally have no routine. I have no routines. Um, 
I, what I do, um, what keeps me um, vital is finding my edge and crossing it. So, and because that's an, there is a um, limitless vitality source um, beyond um, our edges um, and, and, and in vulnerability. Um, and there would be no way for me to do, you know, I have, uh, I don't know, 35 initiatives going right now. It's not just death over dinner. Mm-hmm. Um, we have women teach men and the endless table and the living wake. And, um, we're about to launch this thing called Medzi and like, you know, I'm, I'm a partner at round glass, <laughs> you know, we're, we're literally our, 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 uh, my, our work is focused on what it would look like to create a viable alternative to our healthcare system that was focused on. Um, you know, uh, preventative care, holistic care, psycho-spiritual well-being. Um, and wh- how could that system be just as robust as our healthcare system? And let's take the next 25 to 50 years to solve that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and so that's yeah. like, um, there's a lot on top of a lot on top of a lot of work and a lot of travel. And, you know, I had to hold people. Um, I, we launched the Death Over Dinner um, Jewish edition um, on Saturday of the of the shooting in Pittsburgh, um, with a hundred people and then another 150 people in synagogues in New York. And then, you know, and then I was at Google X, um, the day of the Google walkout. Um, Oh, wow. Yeah. I never thought of that. Yep. I was, um, hosting Dia at Google X where they, um, I knew that, but (laughs) it was the day of the walkout and like, holy, like so much pain and like, they are dealing with it at, at least at X so brilliantly. I was just blown away. Um, and I questioned myself, like, how do I keep all of these things going? And the, the really the only consistent thing I do, I mean, yeah, I eat pretty healthy and I drink a lot of water and I um, exercise a fair amount. Um, <laughs> but even that's kind of random um, is, you know, my techniques are, um, especially when, and also when I sit down to a table that I'm hosting for death over dinner, how does it not get boring? Um, is I find the thing that I'm afraid to say and I say it, um, and I find my edge. I also go towards if there's a conflict in my life, um, with a coworker or something that doesn't feel right. Um, or, you know, a family member relationship, uh, my daughters I go, I go right to it. Um, so, you turn, if I turn my ship directly into the conflict, um, I don't have the energy um, to repress. I don't have the time and the space to do everything that I want to do where I can repress or suppress, um, you know, uh, conflicts. Um, and, yeah. you know, and I keep my connections with my friends um, at a profound level um, because I need them. Um, I, I, I need them to understand if I show up in LA that I might need to not talk that night and then that I don't feel like I have to, <laughs> you know, like I'm going to, I'm going to stay in your house and I'm not going to, and I'm going to just, I've got to hibernate, you know, like or whatever. So I, I would say it's a, it's a kind of a, a different way of, of ritual um, that you might find with some of these incredibly successful folks um, in the achievement world or the meritocracy. Um, and it, what it does is it keeps me present. Um, and I, I don't create big goals. There is no five-year plan. Um, I do not have a bucket list. 
I do not have a bunch of things that I want to do in the future. I've literally have got this moment, you know, and I've got the, and then I've got this moment. And so there are these things, if you turn your boat into conflict, if you constantly challenge yourself to say the thing that you're afraid to say, um, you will stay in the, in the present moment and you will have more energy than you know what to do with. That is a, a beautiful thing. And you're right. It, it is, uh, it is different again, but it's, you know, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's the theme of the, I think the conversation, but at the same time, like I can't help but think myself, like hearing you say all of the different elements of, of things that you're reflecting on, but then also just, again, if you come back to that, to me, come back to that 13 year old, highly self-aware boy. And and I think like, because a lot of those practices, like, you know, a lot of the practices that Tim talks about and, and others are really things that just heighten your self-awareness, right? And you keep doing yeah. that. But you you have such a, a high level of that, that, that awareness. And, and like you said, you're acting on it. Like there's, there's conflict there and you feel it. You're dealing with it right, right then and there. And it's, so that's a beautiful, really beautiful thing. Well, and, you know, and the other thing is, you know, it's not like I bat a thousand. Right. Um, yeah, of course. You know, it's not like Tim ha- actually works a four-hour work week, um, but we that is the intention, right? Yeah. Um, and so, and I know when I'm out of integrity on those things, right? And I know, and I can actually feel um, the energetic drop, right? Like I literally, if we go through all, you know, any of your listeners, and say, you know, what are you avoiding? What are you repressing? What are you afraid to deal with? Right? Like we, we really like this idea of doing in order to get to being right. Everybody mm-hmm. wants the still mind. And so CrossFit and actually in Vipassana and all these things, they don't, they don't get you there um, unless you're willing to deal with the conflicts in your life. Yeah. Um, there's, there's no other way through. Um, if you're really looking for um, peace of mind um, and meaning and all of these things, like all that you need to do, and this is the hero's journey again. It, the hero's journey is not about going out. Um, the Joseph Campbell, um, you know, turned into um, Star Wars because of his work with George Lucas, you know, that, that whole heroic go battle um, dragons, find the new gift, the new changed consciousness and bring it back to your people and be celebrated like a hero. That's not the meta myth. It's not about going out in the world and doing that shit. Mm-hmm. It's actually an inward journey that's being talked about in the hero's myth. And it's available to everybody. Yeah. Um, and, and, and it's fractal. It has nothing to do with um, slaying Grendel and um, becoming, you know, celebrated Beowulf. Um, or yeah. if, you know, it literally is. If you go into your shadow, if you go into your monsters, if you go into your wounds, in there is a gift of a changed consciousness that gives you happiness and that is valuable to the people in your life, and they will appreciate you doing the work and they will celebrate you, um, but at a real scale, because no one likes the adoring throng of people. No one, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah. like yeah. they like elements of it, yeah. but you know, I think somebody said like, you know, uh, okay, I can't remember the quote, but like, I, I, I love being with all of my 
fans, but then I have to be with myself. And, you know, it's like this, Yeah, it's really, it doesn't feed you ultimately. I just finished reading The Alchemist again. It reminds me of a lot of what you just said, just brings that book up in perspective. Uh, working, you know, I'm, I'm assuming you've read that book. Right? Yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> you know, working with that inner, inner journey. Um, it also reminds me that the reason we're speaking, actually, that who introduced us, Jamie, uh, Jamie Wheel, he, yeah. he left me with a question which you just nailed, which was so profound. And it was, um, what are you pretending not to know? Hmm. Yeah. Right. And uh, that, that kind of segues a bit into it. I, I definitely want to get your three reflective questions uh, for the listeners, though. Just we'll link to all this in the show notes. Um, the new book, uh, Death Over Dinner, is loaded full of really powerful prompts. Uh, and we'll, I, we'll, we'll see. It may potentially at the time of the release of this podcast, we, we might have a, a pack on that specifically in the app. So a lot of prompts to get everyone thinking. But if you had to think of three uh, for yourself right now that either circulate on a frequent basis in your life uh, or during, you know, larger events in your life, what, what would those be? Yeah. Well, um, the, I mean, we can kind of iterate on what we were talking about. Um, you know, sure. what are the, what are the unresolved conflicts in my life? Um, yeah, is it, is a daily meditation. Um, and cause I just don't want to carry them. Um, cause you are, you are carrying them. Um, if you're not, if they're not resolved. Um, and the, um, you know, it, it, I, I love the idea of increasing the capacity of my uh, ability to love. Right. And so, um, you know, the, the, the structure of, uh, the way our bodies, and our physiology work is that, you know, we build up our heart and it sends messages to our brain and then that turns into action, right? This is the whole right Mm -hmm. side, left side, creative side. We don't go from brain to heart, right? (laughs) There's actually a cycle that is how do I expand my heart so that it can send better messages to my brain so what I manifest in the world is more in alignment. Right. So a question is, you know, how do I Im- increase my capacity to love? Yeah, that's amazing. That's great. And then the, the, the grand old question that I like to drop, and I dropped this on Google X, and you could just, you actually felt it hit the room. Oh, okay. Um, and, and, and that, that question is, what in me needs to die for my most authentic self? to show up. Wow. Okay. This is the snake shedding its skin. Like this is spring, you know, or fall becoming winter, becoming spring. Like it's okay. It's okay. There's nothing wrong with dying. There's nothing wrong with parts of ourselves dying. There's probably nothing wrong with dying at all. Um, and, uh, but, but to really look and that's what, that's the same question that, um, that Jamie's asking is just wearing a different suit. Um, you know, what, what do we, what's not serving us anymore? Um, because we know all this shit. That's the we, thing. Know. we know, right? We know. We, know. But we no, need we to know. deal with it. Yeah. Wow. Well, thank you so much for, for sharing 
your part of your story. I mean, I feel like we could have a few more of these discussions. Uh, <laughs> um, and, you know, the last thing I'll ask you to, before we wrap is, is, you know, as we sit here today and chat, what, what makes you smile each day? Oh, um, yeah, my, my daughters. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, August and Violet. Um, they're such like exclamation points on, on the planet. Um, and mm-hmm. they just, well said. so they just, they make me happy. Thank you, sir, for your time. And on behalf of everyone listening and in this world, I, I really want to extend a, a thanks to you dedicating all the time and effort because, you know, this stuff isn't easy. And as you mentioned, you touched on a few of your initiatives. There's a lot going on and it takes, you know, it takes effort and it takes dedication. But at the end of the day, you're doing some incredible, you and the team, I'd imagine, are doing some incredible work in, in this world. So a heartfelt thank you from, from this part of the world. Absolutely. Likewise. Um, and, and for the work that you guys are doing. It's such important work. So keep it up. Will do. That's the plan. (laughs) 